Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And we have a special episode for everyone today as we have Dr. Brian Maher, who is our new commissioner of education for the Department of Education here in Nebraska. Uh, and so really excited to have Dr. Maher, who I will now refer to as Brian, which seems yeah, I got a little informal, but I love it. Uh, as we get a chance to delve into his background, to hear a little bit more about his interest uh, in this particular role and the vision that he has for living that out moving forward. And so really grateful. I know that your schedule has got to be really busy as you transition to this new uh, responsibility. So thanks for joining us for the pod. Uh, thank you. It's, it's an honor to be with you and still feels really awkward for anybody to say commissioner in front of my name. <laughs> well, with that being said, for those that aren't familiar with you, could you give us a little bit of your backstory to kind of set the context for, yeah, your decision to pursue the role of commissioner? Sure. First of all, my backstory, I think professionally, probably everything I've done professionally has led me to this point without the idea that this is where I was headed. But I started out as a classroom teacher. I taught in uh, Clark's and in Elkhorn Public Schools. And I taught uh, all things math, a little bit of computer science and physics. And so I had a good background in what it takes to be a classroom teacher. And I think anybody that looks at anything, whether that's an administrator uh, in a district or the commissioner of education, needs to remember what it's like to have been a teacher because that's where the magic happens. And I mean that. So that's where I started. From there, I, I was a building administrator in, in Johnson Brock, Nebraska, in Elkhorn, Nebraska, and in Waverly, Nebraska. So I was either a principal or an assistant principal in those spots and learned a lot about evaluating instruction and what good instruction looked like. And luckily, I was around a whole lot of master teachers to see what great instruction looked like. And after that, I became superintendent. I was first a superintendent in Utica, Nebraska, at the Centennial Public School, an awesome environment where we were K-12 under one roof. So there was no working in silos. I would go to the lunchroom, and if I was there for a decent amount of time, I'd see kindergartners, and I'd see seniors, and I'd see everybody in between. But also, I got to see the difference in instruction and the difference in development for kids, the kids that we serve uh, as we go. From there, I went to Kearney Public Schools as superintendent in Kearney and got to see what it was like to be in a, a multi-building district. So I went from a, a fairly small school to a fairly large school. And while I was at Kearney, I was in Kearney eight years. And in my eighth year, I got a call to see if I would be interested in being the superintendent in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Um, I knew very, very little about Sioux Falls. In fact, I thought it was just a nice small community with a school district, maybe a little larger than Kearney. And what I found out was it was a very complex community in a very complex school district, a little bit larger than Millard, not quite as big as Lincoln, for those of, of you who are grounded in Nebraska. And I went to be the superintendent there. I'm really glad I did, even though I never had a desire to leave the state of Nebraska. I was the superintendent there five years. We were a refugee resettlement community. 
So I found out what ELL truly was all about. I found out what um, high poverty schools was really all about. Uh, I found out what having a lot of students come into your come into your schools who didn't speak the language in their home was all about. So it opened up a, a whole new world to me and made me understand diversity at a, a whole different level than what I had understood it before from a language perspective, from a race and ethnicity perspective, and from a socioeconomic perspective. So um, all those things were great things for me. Plus Sioux Falls was an awesome community. I loved my time there. I, I know I'm getting long-winded here, but the other step prior to this one, in my fifth year with the Sioux Falls School District, I was approached and asked if I would have any interest in being the executive director and CEO of the Board of Regents in South Dakota. And a similar position in Nebraska would be the president of the university system that Ted Carter Jr. has, although the Board of Regents in South Dakota would be smaller, uh, significantly smaller than what Ted Carter has uh, in the university system. Uh, nonetheless, the, the things that I think prepared me for this position where I saw the seamless or hopefully seamless transition from high school into college and what that looks like and, and what colleges were looking for as they looked through the prism at their high school colleagues. What did they want to see have uh, happen educationally? Also, I, I had a, my first opportunity to work for a statewide board, and that was different. In my previous stops, I worked for local boards of education as a superintendent. And now I, I wasn't going to run down to the grocery store and run into one of my board members because they were from all over the state of South Dakota and they came together for board meetings. So it changed um, how you communicated, uh, how things were communicated to you and what you could expect in that uh, top position in the org chart, answering to that board uh, and, and gave me some experience there as I head into working for the State Board of Education uh, here in Nebraska. So. All those things put together, and here I am, Commissioner of Education for the state of Nebraska. Uh, the one thing I would close with there, Andrew, is eight great years in South Dakota. Uh, Peg and I loved it. I'm glad we had the experience, and I, did, and I do not mean to demean South Dakota when I say we can't wait to return to Nebraska because my wife and I are both Nebraskans, both Cornhuskers at heart, and, and just love the opportunity to be back in Nebraska. I really appreciate getting a chance to learn about all of those roles. And one of the things that I find just so impressive is when people have worn uh, a number of hats and walked in those roles for a season, and that when those experiences are diverse, that's so oftentimes where innovation comes from and new ideas and the opportunity then to build upon that diversity that you're drawing from as you face new challenges and new problems. I, yeah, innovation comes from bringing something from a different context into another one. And so uh, I didn't know about your background with your previous role in South Dakota, working with higher ed. You, I think, did a really nice job of explaining what you learned from your stints as a superintendent and the differences between those. I'd press in a little more and ask about what it is, you referenced it as being the fluent kind of progression from the 
pre-K-12 environment into post-secondary. Uh, and so what were some of the key takeaways from your time in that role that um, yeah, were just, just instructive? Well, it was it was interesting. So I'll, I'll, I'll be a little bit facetious, but there's some truth in here too. Uh, when I was a high school principal, we always kind of thought, boy, if the middle school teachers just did a little better job, you know, our high school kids would be a little better prepared. And then when I became a superintendent, I would hear middle school teachers say, boy, if those elementary school teachers just did a little better job, our middle school teachers, well, you can imagine where I'm going with this. At the higher ed level, it was, boy, if our high school teachers just did a little better job, we'd be better prepared. And I think all of that is probably true, but it's not an indictment on any one level of education. Rather, I think it is about what opportunities exist at the next level. And what really amazed me, I think, in my, and, and I was just in the position three years. They were three great years. I worked for a tremendous board and I worked in a board office with just stellar people who, who I learned from daily. And then, of course, the, the campus presidents, the folks at the campuses who made those campuses run. I got to work with all of those people. So what I what I learned was there's an, an entire ecosystem in higher ed that makes getting that baccalaureate degree, master's degree, doctoral degree, et cetera, uh, possible. And yet, and you have to work with all of those entities to really make it work. And higher ed needs to reach down, and I, and I only mean that chronologically, I don't mean that in any other way, reach down and help higher ed so that students can see college isn't this big mystery that many, I know I thought it was when I was in high school. I was the, I am the youngest of seven and the only one to go the university route. And so it was this big mystery. Mom and mom and dad didn't have that background. So, and we have a lot of kids in America, certainly in Nebraska, and as we did in South Dakota, who don't see college or or post high school education as a real option. So I think we've got to do a better job of letting kids know college is possible for all of you. Now, when I say college, I mean tech college, I mean the University of Nebraska, whatever uh, it is beyond high school, there are options available for almost everybody. And we've got to continue to work to market those options for everybody. This brings me to a, a conversation I had one time where a gentleman was talking to me about if high school counselors would just do a better job of providing options for kids. Da, da, I would like anyone to spend a day in the life of our high school counselors, because as a society, we've put them to where, for the most part, they're just they're triage. Every day, they're dealing with the most immediate need every day. And the opportunities to work on those strategic issues are far less than what the non-person in education would understand that a counselor gets to do. So our counselors are heroes. I, I could probably come up with a better term than that, but they work tremendously hard. So I'm not putting any of this on our counselors when I say we need to market it better. When I say we, I mean all of us, higher ed, uh, K-12, we need to make education beyond high school something that our kids see as, as real and something that they can aspire to.
Wow, I absolutely love that. And I, I oftentimes within these episodes try to point to other conversations that we've had. And there's been several episodes that we've done with regards to student mental health, uh, mental health workers within schools, particularly as like LMHPs. And uh, most recently, we had an episode with individuals who are part of the program that is grant work at ESU3 that are supporting an Omaha metro area where those licensed mental health professionals are in schools on a regular basis. And they spoke to how much they hope they can support the counselors, to your point, uh, in managing some of that portion of their role in support of students so that they can have additional time uh, to step into the spaces like what you're talking about. And so I, I think that maybe that's one way in which in education we can can think about that. Uh, and when, if you're at all interested, check out that previous episode, because that is, uh, there's really great work going on there in ESU3 and also across Nebraska. And so uh, I'm going to pivot a little bit here and say, okay, so you're in South Dakota, you're in the rhythms of the role that you just were currently describing, and you decided that you're going to run for commissioner. So yeah, uh, yeah or, or apply for commissioner. Yeah, there was a, there was a step in there, Andrew, where okay my wife and I decided, you know what, it's time to return to Nebraska. It's time, it's time to come home. Um, Peg and I have three kids and each of our three kids have three kids. So they're uh, adult grown children. Two of the three, their home base is Lincoln. And the third is currently in North Carolina, but we hope on their way back to Nebraska within two years. So that's our hope. So it was uh, it was time for Peg and I to return to Nebraska. There was no doubt about it. There was no job in mind when I made that decision. So that was a hard thing to to tell my board in South Dakota. And they said, "Well, we thought you liked us." And the fact of the matter is, I do. I do a lot, but it, it's time for us to go to Nebraska. We just knew that it was, and the commissioner job came up. And I had a couple people ask me, "Would you be interested in that?" And my first reaction was, maybe, maybe. And the more I thought about it, the more I, I thought about the role, the more I thought that would be a very interesting job, one that would have a lot of appeal from just being interesting to a job where I think I could have an impact. And the more I thought about it, the more excited I got about it. And I would tell you, since getting the job, I'm even more excited about starting the job. So all those are good signs. There wasn't any epiphany where it was, I can do this, but it was kind of a, this just continues to grow on me. And when I think of the career that I've had thus far, I think this is a great next step. Somebody said a great final step, and I'm like, I, I don't know that. Retirement isn't, while it was something I was really thinking about years ago, it's not really something I'm thinking about. So I would say it's the, my great next step and what I've done in, in combining all of those experiences into the complexity that, that is this position and uh, trying to see if we can't make a difference here. And my ego is just big enough, Andrew, to where I think I can have an impact in this position. Wow, that calls to mind a phrase that a colleague who actually is retiring here in the next, I would imagine, couple of weeks, uh, sadly, or good for her, but sad for us in the ESU network. Deb Pullman is an administrator uh, at ESU 16, and 
I was speaking with her not too long ago and she said that she appreciates when people are not running in terms of like moving to a new position that they're not running from a place, but to the next challenge, to the next opportunity for impact, to use the word uh, that you use there. Uh, And so that is actually what I'd like to press into next would be to say, as you have grown in your understanding of the potential uh, that you could have in having an impact through this role, it seemed like those talking points maybe revealed themselves to you in pieces over a duration of time. Uh, What are some of those things that have spoken to your heart and to what you would like to see for not only your career, but your ability to pay your experiences forward into the betterment of education in Nebraska? Uh, Yeah, what's called you uh, as you've learned more? Yeah, great question. You know, I think the ability to work with folks who are getting it done, teachers specifically, and to have an impact on their environment. One of the questions I got in the interview was what new and innovative and creative ideas might I have to help in that world? And I said, you know, I think what I would like to see is I would like to break down barriers for teachers to be able to teach and to perform, as I mentioned earlier, the magic that they perform on a daily basis in the classroom. So I don't, I don't know that I have anything new and innovative and creative. Rather, I'd like to peel some of those the layers of that onion away and let teachers teach and let principals be instructional leaders at the building level and help superintendents run their districts. So I pull all of that together and you say, well, how do you do that? And my, my first answer is, I don't know, but I know we've got a lot of smart people in Nebraska. I know we do. And so we need to marshal those resources that we have in the human capital that we have in this state and say, how do we make education better? When I think of likely any state department, uh, but but certainly the uh, Department of Education, it's an underfunded, under-resourced position versus what I would love to see. Well, that's not going to change. We're in a, a very conservative state. I'm coming from a very conservative state. That's who we are. That's part of what makes us the great life uh, here in Nebraska. So I don't, I'm not looking to, to bring in a lot of resources. Rather, I'm looking to figure out how do we use the resources we have? And I think of, well, well, who is that? Who are those resources that we need to pull together? It's our state board. It's those who are elected to put this machine in fine working order. It's working directly with them and making sure that we're all working towards a common good. Quite frankly, when I was interviewing colleagues for this position, um, they said, that's one thing you're going to have to really get a handle on. That doesn't worry me. I've worked for a board for 24 years now, Andrew, and I really believe we can get along well. Maybe that's Pollyanna for those of your viewership or who are old enough to know that term. Uh, pie in the sky, um, but I believe we can get along. That's number one. Number two, our our schools across the state, we have to tap in to the, the, the brilliance that is in our classrooms and in our leadership and the principal's office and the superintendent's office and the finance director's office and the curriculum director's office and the special education office and those offices that I, I skipped over there. We need to tap into that brilliance and make sure that we're using that brilliance to help us get to where we need to get. And when I think of uh, who else, 
the ESUs are a major, major part of pulling that together. Because not only do we not have the, the resources to bring all the information in that we need, we don't have the resources to push all the information out that we need in terms of professional development, et cetera, et cetera. And at least from my 30 years of experience in Nebraska, I know of no better way to do that than our ESUs. So when I think of NDE, I think of ESUs being an extension. I hope Craig Lofquist is okay with that. An extension of what we do in education in Nebraska. And, and then from there, I think about all of our association partners. And by that, I mean, you know, the, the Council of School Administrators, the, the, the Rural Council of School Administrators, the Education Association. I'll, I'll stop there because I'm going to forget somebody, but there are a lot of association partners that have their fundamental belief in really bolstering education in Nebraska. So we need to put all of those great minds together. And for those wondering, how do you do that? I would say, that's what I'm working on right now. I'm working on figuring out how do we pull those voices together? How do we do it already? Because some of this wheel has already been invented. So how do we do it better where we're already doing it? And how do we put processes in place where we're not doing it at all to make sure that we're fully utilizing those pieces? And those are some of my goals. And I would tell you, I'm I'm working on that nearly as we speak, not during this podcast, but uh, <laughs> before and after. I'm trying to figure out how does that look as we go forward. I it has been fun through this role that I've been because my background similar to yours was classroom teacher, and then I worked within a, a one high school district, uh, and then was fortunate enough to be able to find myself in the role that I'm in now, where I get to work across all 17 ESUs, but through the podcast as well. Uh, have the opportunity to learn about all the different individuals and organizations uh, that are out there that are invested in kids in Nebraska and are invested in public education and, and private school education and really just making sure that the learning experiences we're providing are rich and yeah fulfilling both for the students and for our educators as well. Uh, and it, it has been both inspiring and I found myself awestruck at times to realize just how amazing these people are that are all over that I didn't know previously were in those roles and in those spaces and you were talking about NCSA or or NERCSA we actually just did a episode a couple back uh, with the leadership from there and just their advocacy you know on behalf of public education through the legislative session. Uh, you know, it just, it's really cool to get a little window into everybody's world and, uh, and also see where we all connect through that as well. So you mentioned there that really those relationships and, and trying to enhance is maybe a word that I would use, I guess, in yeah. uh, what yeah. you're sharing there, uh, kind of our collaboration and communication. Uh, what else goes into kicking off your tenure? <laughs> I guess is, uh, I'm sure there's a lot at this time. Yeah, I, I put together a 100-day plan when I interviewed to tell the board, you don't have to wonder what I'm going to do. I'll show you what I'm going to do. And I put a 100-day plan in front of them that begins on July 1. I started a little bit of it already because I think I put about 150 days worth of stuff to do in 100 days. So I got to get started on it. But it starts with building relationships really with a lot of those entities that I've already talked about, uh, particularly the board that I work for and those members and, and trying to get out and 
get to know them and, and having them get to know me too, so that we can figure out how we're going to work together. Cause we, we will work together. That will happen. There's not a doubt in my mind. And then to the ESUs and to the member schools. So I'm meeting with uh, superintendents. I met with uh, a superintendent earlier this week. I'm putting a lot of windshield time in just to get around to meet with people and to establish those relationships and the beginning phases of trust. You know, you don't build trust and just a, a, a meet and greet, but you build that over time. But those are the seeds of where trust comes from. So I'm uh, planting those seeds and hopefully over time we can have a, a good amount of trust throughout. I'm, I'm reading a book right now called The Speed of Trust, which many people have probably read. It's, it's not so new, but it, it's good and, and worth the read. And really, all things come to us, it seems like, in, in an appropriate time. And uh, that book, I think, was placed in front of me at an appropriate time. It's good for me to be reading that right now. So I'm, I'm trying to build that trust, Andrew, to get back to your question. Building that trust throughout the state is really part of what I'm doing. Then as I build that, I will also be trying to build the processes that I talked about. How do we look at processes for assessment in our state, which has been a, a, little, bit, a little bit polarizing? How, how do we make sure our processes are in place so that it becomes less polarizing? I put my old superintendent's hat on, and anytime somebody would tell us what to do, we would champion local control, and we're a local control state. We are. But also, there are some times where that local control has to be balanced with other controls, whether that's at the state or the federal level, and that's where we come in. So how do we, how do we put processes in place that make sense locally? at the state level and, and makes us responsive at the federal level as well. Those are, those are some of the pieces I'm trying to put together as I'm building those relationships and hopefully building trust along the way. That's a long-winded answer. Well, that's a big job, Brian. <laughs> that's a, a lot to, to bring along, but uh, I'm grateful for your leadership and, and to hear that approach because it speaks to my heart for people as well, right? That those relationships are important and trust is important. And in the midst of putting yourself out there and reaching out to individuals, I'm sure you're going to learn a lot about what's going on here, 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 and everywhere in all those respective roles. And the only way really to think about having an impact is to have your ear to the ground in those spaces, right? With those individuals and those leaders to hear what they need, what they're seeing, what might be coming up next. And so there's a lot to be gleaned from just even listening. Uh, and then that I'm sure reciprocates that trust, right? Whenever people feel heard and recognized and, and see actions that follow. You know, that's a, that, that's bingo. You just nailed it there at the end. Really, if you can, if you can listen, I think it, it's easy to go out and be present and uh, not easy. It takes time, but um, it's easier to go out and, and listen and be present. But the hard part is to find some something actionable from those conversations to go back and, and really put something in place as a result of the conversation. If you can do that, then I think you've you've really become a leader. If you haven't, you're just a listener, which is important. But if you can take that listening and put some action behind it, then I really think you've built trust because now people will have evidence that you're listening. So also, I don't know that I've ever come up with an original thought in my life. So I need people to be giving me thoughts as to how I can do things. Uh, that's just the nature of collaboration, right? Uh, the shared ideas there and taking what piece you can be responsible for with the 
space you're given to have an impact and lean into it, which is great. And so, uh, gosh, I say it almost every week, but half an hour goes incredibly fast. Uh, and I certainly want to honor your time. As we've heard today, you got a lot going on. There's a lot of uh, steps to the onboarding. And so uh, I'm going to just make a little space here at the end of today's episode to just ask, uh, is there a parting message that you would like to maybe leave our listenership with? Because we're certainly grateful um, that you joined us today and gave us a little better sense of who you are and, and what you bring to this role and your vision for it. And so, yeah, maybe just uh, a note for us to end on. Yeah, I, I would say my parting message would be there's got to be a whole lot of together in this for good things to happen. This isn't just the department or just Brian Maher sitting in the commissioner's seat. And that in any success that I might have over the years in this position will come from a togetherness that is the associations, the ESUs, the member schools. It'll be from all of us working together for the students of Nebraska. And that, that'll be my goal. Well, thank you so much uh, for taking the opportunity. Uh, again, as I alluded to a moment ago, uh, in the midst of your busy schedule uh, to connect and to share through this avenue and and for all the like hard work that you're doing not only now, but I'm sure kind of entering in over your 100 days of 150 days worth of work. <laughs> uh, it is certainly something that we're grateful to have you in this role and to get the opportunity here to learn a little bit more. So uh, I hope that as things move forward, that you keep us in mind as an avenue for communicating out anything. And, and hopefully we can check back in and have a conversation as it would make sense to do so down the line. But welcome, Commissioner Maher. Thank you very much. It was an honor to be with you today. Thank you. 